Welcome to the Kristen Alanius Show. I'm your producer, Peter Dunn, Pete the Planner, joined by co-producer Damian Dunn. No relation. Hello, Damian. Hello, co-producer Pete. This week on the show, we are here to support and uh, produce the show of media darling Kristen Alanius. Kristen, take it away. Pete. <laughs> we, we both know I hate this. Oh, you don't hate this because you have been all over the media this week. Like you're on a book tour on <laughs> television, in the newspaper, on internets. Kristen's a Kristen is a full-fledged media star. She's kind of a big deal. I don't know about that, but I was you're not wrong. We Damien was on TV too, though. Don't forget that. How much uh run did that get in our uh company Slack? Zero. Wasn't mentioned Zero. once. It's all well, you. Do you yeah, want me to well, post it right now? Not at all. Not once. Well, I will after the show. Uh, so hello, everybody. Uh, sorry for the inside baseball. Welcome back to the program. So the student loan forgiveness thing happened. And here's why this is important. Uh, because Kristen was all over the media this week talking about it. And it was like, it was Damonized dream come true. Uh, when we first met Kristen, we saw all of this glory and potential in her and she is shining bright in the for the world to see this week and it is wonderful dame do you feel that way like i've i've had an amazing week living vicariously through uh people acknowledging how great kristen is yeah kristen you can shake your head all you want but the truth of the matter is pete and i had conversations just like this shortly after you were brought onto the team saying that this this is very reasonably a place that you could go and here you are that's a great week it's nice to hear when other people think that you have potential. So I appreciate it. Well, the bad news is we think you've reached it. <laughs> <laughs> and you've peaked. <laughs> um, all right. So here's what we're going to do this week. We, we are talking student loan forgiveness all week. And, and uh, it's a complicated topic. I know for, for months, arguably for years, student loan forgiveness has been like, hey, is someone going to forgive student loans? And that feels like a very singular idea and event and, and, and process. It's a lot more complicated than that. So this entire show, we're going to talk about, all right, what 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 does the forgiveness mean? Kristen actually is the expert on that. So she's going to break it down and tell us what's going on there. Then we're going to talk about the ramifications of this, like sort of the social ramifications of this. Um, what does it mean for people who didn't go to college because they made a different choice? Or what does it mean for people who just paid off their student loans? What does it mean for people who've yet to go to school? And Kristen, I saw this and maybe you'll cover it, but the last day that you could have taken out a student loan that would arguably be forgiven was June 30th. Is that right? Correct. So can you imagine if you took out a student loan on July 1st? Ooh. <laughs> Oh, awkward. You're salty. Uh, good morning to a lot of our uh, live stream viewers. Big Rick Swink, bringing the big Rick energy as always. Uh, and Andy, hello. Rochelle, Danza, Neil. Okay. Uh, you guys want to start the show? I mean, this is going to be a huge episode. We have media darling huge. Kristen Lanius here. Um, let's do it. Um, I got to set up my timer. Chris and I really am just going to tee you up and uh, let you run wild like Hulkamania. Sure. Do you is, Neil, yeah. is Neil the person that shows up as Facebook user in my stream? Is that who that is? I believe it is. Uh, I believe it is. Okay. Well, it is now. Okay. Um, in three, two, one. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we're not answering your money questions. We typically do when you email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. In fact, we've got a lot of emails at askpete at petetheplanner.com that we could go over this week. We are punting until next week. Why? Well, um, student loan forgiveness happened. It has been talked about for so long. We've talked about it for so long on this show and it actually happened. Prom night got here. We had a good time. What does it all mean? Joining me to discuss are the co-hosts of this program. A man with the same last name, yet we do not share blood. His name is Damian Dunn, and he's the vice president of advice at Your Moneyline. Hello, my not my brother. Hello, no blood. 
And the Director of Education and Media Darling, Kristen Alanius, joins us now. Kristen, you've been all over the media this week discussing this topic because let's just face it, you're one of the foremost experts in the world on this topic, and you just so happen to be a co-host of this show, so it works out beautifully. Dame, if there's ever donut legislation, your ship will come into harbor as well. Kristen, all right, uh, catch everyone up. What in the world just happened? In summary, what just happened is that if you make less than 125,000, if you're single, less than 250, so double that amount if you're married, you could have 10 or $20,000 in student loan forgiveness. If you were a Pell Grant recipient as an undergrad student, you are subject to up to $20,000 in student loan forgiveness, all others up to 10. And then with all of that, the uh, not the limited waiver, the administrative forbearance was extended through the end of the year so that we have some time, I would assume, to figure out these logistics. All right, so Damien, what I'm hearing is that a person who has not been paying on their student loans because interest rates have been set at zero since March of 2020, will have another few more months mm-hmm. to um, benefit from, from that uh, uh, legislation. So, so this is also to say, Dame, are people's balances just going to get wiped out? Do they have to apply for this? Do you understand how this works? Uh, It's a little tricky as of yet because there are some, I think, nearly 8 million uh, individuals that have their income records on file with the Department of Education, and the appropriate action will be taken based on those at that point. Now, there will also be an application that will be available online uh, in the coming weeks to start this process manually, or if your income has changed uh, and you think you are now eligible, even though the information on record may say that you're not uh, and th- those will be reviewed, and and we'll figure out whether or not you get your uh, ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars of relief. And this is all, of course, subject to any potential lawsuits that may be filed and and slow the process down. Kristen, is there a feeling of how many Americans are affected by this legislation? I saw something to the tune of twenty three million people. Is that about right? I thought that the number was actually higher than that. I. Maybe at the next segment, I keep the student loan portfolio on my computer. So maybe Nerd alert. Could, Nerd maybe alert. we could pull it up and maybe go over the numbers. And, and so was this amount surprising to anyone? Was the Pell Grant um, addition or doubling, was that a surprise? Should anyone have been surprised by what just happened? I don't think anybody should have been surprised by the 10,000 because we started to hear whisperings of it a few weeks ago. I think the surprise was that it took up until like 10 days before we were supposed to enter repayment again. Now, the Pell Grant portion, I didn't see that until... I don't know, it was like two days before as we were prepping some media to send out to your money line. And the the Pell Grant part surprised me. Yeah, Dame, um, if I were to ask you what Pell Grants were, would you want to then pass that question back to Kristen? No, uh, Pell Grants are available for students who show exceptional financial need in college. So it's something you qualify for based on income that's reported on the FAFSA. Uh, beyond that, uh, they are, I believe, renewable annually. Uh, Kristen, you can correct me if I'm wrong there, but I, I think those are something that you need to uh, qualify for each and every year. And the Pell Grant award again is the twenty thousand dollars versus the correct. ten thousand. I want to make sure that we keep mentioning the number. So, if you have two people that qualify for Pell Grants and have student loan debt, and they are a household that makes less than two hundred fifty thousand, and each of the borrowers has $20,000 of student loans, you're saying that that household theoretically would have $40,000 of student loans wiped out? As I yeah. understand it. That's amazing. I mean, in, in this entire show, we're, we're going to really cover this from every angle. We're going to talk about uh, unintended consequences. We're going to talk about unfortunate realities. We're going to talk about how this bill targeted certain populations and, and purposefully and accidentally ignored other populations. Uh, Kristen, one element of this um, decree, I don't. what are we even calling this? Is it, it's not a bill because it didn't come through legislation. Is it an executive order? Yeah. I think technically. All right. One of the things that came through this executive order is these ideas around income-based repayment going forward. 
-hmm. Help us understand that because, you know, don't fall asleep at the wheel. That might be the most interesting part of all this. Yeah. And it's interesting and it's also complicated because income-driven repayment as the Department of Education came up with all of this is based on the concept of non-discretionary income. And DOE defines non-discretionary income very different than we would. So like, Dame, would you mind defining, like, how would we say, what is your non-discretionary income? Uh, Non-discretionary income in our purposes is going to be money that's already obligated for uh, some other purpose, whether that's a mortgage, whether that's a car payment, whether that's student loan repayment, or whatever the case may be. It's money that you've already got allocated to some other source that requires those dollars in your wallet. Yep. And the Department of Education defines non-discretionary income as the amount that you make for your household size over the federal poverty line multiplied by 150%. So you can make 150% of the federal poverty line and then everything over that is considered your discretionary income. So it's like very technical and doesn't, I don't think personal finance minds, us and many others would agree with that definition. So it's kind of convoluted, but they're increasing that number. So that 150% multiplier that we see there, the goal is to increase that. This is proposed. The goal is to increase that to 225%, which I believe the method or the reasoning behind that is that that would equate to a $15 minimum wage. So then everything that you make in excess of $15 an hour would be considered discretionary income. So what I don't understand about this part of the legislation, and it's not legislation, it, this part. So is this executive order? That part is 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 happening. The the um, the the income based repayment, or is that a proposal? That's what I don't understand. So the change from being required to pay ten percent of your discretionary income, moving to five percent being the requirement. Uh, was part of the original announcement. Now, the proposed change to increase that threshold, essentially, that's part of what we hope to see or what the administration hopes to see moving forward. I guess what I, I, there's a lot I don't understand, which is why we're dedicating the entire show to this. So Kristen and Damien can explain it to me. But um, so wouldn't that mean if you're only paying 5% of your income on your income-based repayment plan, that your balance would grow? based on the interest rate? It depends on how high your interest rate is and how high your balance is, because if your interest, and that was actually, I think one of the other proposed changes was that if your monthly payment didn't pay off the interest, essentially the government is going to subsidize that. So I think effectively that makes, in practice, it makes all student loans partially subsidized. I, I think is technically how that works. Yeah, and we're going to explore this and more here coming up the rest of the show. And 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 one of the things is, is this last part of the executive order, this, this income-based repayment change, is this actually the most expensive part of this executive order as opposed to the billions that are forgiven in loans? We'll talk about all of that next right here on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. Right? I mean, not right, I'm Pete the Planner, but right, like... Yeah. Couldn't that yes. theoretically be the most expensive part? Well, yeah, it, it goes into perpetuity. And if, yeah. if colleges uh, continue to uh, off the record say, well, you know what, they, I won't spoil it. Uh, hello, Jacob. Hello, uh, Brian Pankins. Good to see you. Um, wow. This is fascinating. <laughs> you know, I, I we, we are going to talk about this I, on the show. And so I don't know why I'm going to say it here, too. Um People can, of course, have their own opinions on it. I'm not going to try to disprove them. But what I think is interesting is when people want to have a very tidy, this is good, this is bad, because I just think it's a lot more complicated than that. I uh, I think a lot of government policy, people want to say this is good or this is bad, and they're entitled to that. But I just think it's a lot more nuanced than this is good than this is bad. Even the debates we have about social issues, um, I, I find that they're just a lot more complicated than what we want to distill it down to. I People think, are fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think something that's very interesting and maybe noodle on mm-hmm. it, um, 
to talk about is that I have found that persons tend that are upset about the legislation don't necessarily feel that way toward people that they know in person. It's easy to be upset about something that doesn't impact people that you know. But if you think about if this positively impacted Damien or you or me, then is someone as upset if they know us? Does that make sense? Yeah. So you you, you, you never want to uh, try and put somebody you know and care about in a, a worse position. And right. you, when you see this benefiting their personal lives, then yeah, of course you're going to feel uh, a little bit warmer about the the prospect of of whatever the topic is at that point but uh when you're dissociated from having any immediate impact with yourself or those you love then then it's much easier to have a a a harsh uh, approach at something Mm -hmm. uh good morning to ian watching on the live stream famous pike red devil oh there's a lot of red devils in the stream (laughs) thank god i didn't alienate every alienate everyone in high school because then we wouldn't have any viewers Um, Um, okay. Let's come back after the break. I'm going to ask the question when we go to air so that we have, um, a little bit of transparency in this. And we've done this before. We're, I'm going to ask you guys about your college experience and did you pay for it? And did you have student loans? Um, because I think that if we're going to have opinions about other people's student loans, I think we need to disclose our own. Right. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, coming back. Oh, but, oh, here we go. Sorry, I'm just getting my pipes ready. <laughs> Three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show, talking uh, the student loan forgiveness uh, executive order. It's weird when you, you begin to talk about it. You say a President Biden's student loan forgiveness, and then it's like, well, what's the noun? It's not a bill. It's not legislation. It's, is it a decree? That sounds aggressive. It's an executive order, right? It, it's it's something. Um, before we get going too much on this, Kristen and Dame, we're, we're about to try to give some perspective on other people's opinions around their f- college funding situation. I, I just find it appropriate for us to come to the table transparently with, with how if, you know, if we all three of us went to college, but like how it was funded and did we come out with any student loans? Because I, I just think it's the honest thing to do. So I went, to, I went to college, um, believe it or not, and I, my parents paid for my college education, and I did not have a dime of student loan debt. Um, and I just, uh, <laughs> mea culpa, I don't, I'm not apologizing for that. That's just my reality. So, Dame, what's your reality? Pete, did you um, have to work on paying off any of Mrs. Planner's loans after you were married? Uh, no, she paid a little bit as she went. Okay. She was required to pay a little bit as she went from her parents, but her parents paid first, but we never had any student loan debt in our household. So my situation was similar, very similar to yours. I did not have any student loan debt. My education was paid for, but we did pay for, uh, a, a portion of my wife's undergrad and all of her master's degree. Okay. Excellent. So as working people, you, did you take on student loan debt or did you, do you pay for it with whatever assets you had? Uh, she had student loans uh, for undergrad, and then we paid for, um, I believe we paid for m- uh, her master's degree out of pocket. Okay. Wow. Okay, Kristen, what about you? I had part of my first year um, paid by my parents, and then after that was a mixture of working and student loans so that I didn't have to take out private loans. And then I'm actually in a master's program, and I am cash flowing that master's program, which means that I do actually have some undergraduate student loans. So I'm a benefit or I'm a beneficiary of this executive order. Sure. And, you know, we have another coworker, a well-beloved coworker in our organization, and uh, she's going to have a majority of her student loans wiped out. So it was a happy day for her. So it's with that, that we begin to take a look at this and, and sort of maybe the, let's call it the social or cultural ramifications of this. Dame, let's begin with people who never went to college because they chose a different path. They, they didn't want to take on the burden of student loan debt. They considered that when they were making the choice. And so they went the other route. And so now you've got people who chose the other route 
that are, are, are seeking this forgiveness. What is a person, how's a person supposed to get their head around this if they did not go to college because they didn't want to get involved? It's a really tough ask for some of those individuals because they, you know, like you said, maybe they, they went into the trades or maybe they went into the military to, to try and, uh, provide their, their service there and get a, a college benefit. And it's, it's going to probably be pretty challenging for some of those individuals to come to terms w- with this executive order. And frankly, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't have a problem uh, with the, their, their position at this point because they made their choices, what they felt was the most responsible financial decision at, at that point in their life. They knew maybe what the, where their interests lied and they didn't want to, get into debt for something they weren't sure they were really going to benefit much from. So if I'm in their shoes, I try and take a couple really deep breaths. Uh, I'm not saying that they need to um, change their perspective or change their opinion on this. They're certainly welcome to hold whatever opinion they, they want. But if I'm in their shoes, I try and look for very clear examples of where this legislation, sorry, this executive order really benefited maybe even somebody they knew that that was just absolutely struggling and it was going to be an uphill battle for a long long time and this gets them if not over the hump but maybe they can see that light at the end of the tunnel now look for very personally personally applicable examples to why this might benefit somebody they care about yeah kristen what would you add to that I think that if you chose to not pursue higher ed and you wanted to, and you chose not to because you didn't want the burden of student loan debt, I think it's okay if you're upset. I think I don't think that your feelings have to be or that your opinion on this has to happen in a silo. You can be happy for me or for anybody else, and you can be upset that you didn't get to benefit from this and that you may have made different decisions. And I don't think anybody can tell you that you can't be upset about that. Yeah. Okay. So let's transition and I'll stick with you, Kristen. Let's transition to a person who went to college and paid off their student loan debt maybe taking on a second job, maybe just their first job, making some sacrifices or just playing the long game. How is a person in that scenario supposed to get their head around this executive order? I think very similar approach. I think it's that you can feel upset. And if we take two persons and all things equal, one person earns student or one person will be awarded student loan forgiveness and the other will not. Again, all things equal. The person who just received student loan forgiveness just saw their net worth move by 10 grand overnight. And is that fair? Like in those two situations, it's not. So as far as getting your, your mind wrapped around it, I think that sometimes there are things that happen that we get to benefit from, whether they're tax credits or other things. And sometimes we don't get to benefit. And Again, is that fair? Maybe not, but I think it's just reality. Tim? Same. We are um, faced with this new reality. There's only so many things that we can control, and if you want to be upset about it, that's okay. I would encourage you not to be there and dwell in it. Uh, That will do very bad things for you. However, what we we need to try and do uh, is figure out a long-term solution for the issue uh, that we're facing. And while this legislation will have immediate impacts for those that it benefits, it's still an uphill battle on trying to figure out how to make college more affordable for the masses, because right now it's, it's set up to where we're just going to face this problem again in another 10, 15 years. Yeah. I I don't get personally, and, and again, I come from a place of privilege and I, I, uh, I'm not necessarily apologetic about that. I just think I'm, I have no problem acknowledging it. Right. Um, I don't have a problem when legislation or executive orders don't benefit me. Right. Like I, I, I do, that doesn't necessarily bother me. Um, do I think taxpayer dollars get spent on things that I'd rather them not get spent on? Of course. I mean, I think everyone does, but this one feels so deeply personal and this almost feels like a like a classism is like a, a part of this argument. Kristen, to this point, how do you feel about all of the arguments being thrown around by various people and organizations and Twitter accounts that this is similar to PPP loans? Do, do you see a parallel between 
forgiveness and student loans and forgiveness of PPP loans, is there any parallels to draw between the two other than the F word, which is forgiveness? That is, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say their names sound similar, but I don't think that if we actually lay out the facts that the, that the forgiveness is the same. I, I would agree, and, and at the at the risk of, of of you know putting out a controversial opinion, and this is just my opinion, I don't think there are any parallels whatsoever between PPP loans and student loan forgiveness. The entire point of the PPP loan was for it to be forgiven, like that is, and it was also, by the way, to keep people employed when the economy was shut off like a light switch, mm -hmm. um, and and so I don't know. Um, while I don't necessarily have a problem with people that got their student loans forgiven, um, I also don't think the way you justify that is saying, well, PPP loans got forgiven. I just don't, it, it's an apple and oranges thing to me. Totally agree. The PPP loans could have been handled a little differently. They could have had uh, checks sent directly to the individuals themselves and bypassed the, uh, the employer at that point. And that could have potentially figured it all out. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about inflation and we're going to talk about the long-term impact on college costs. That's next on the Pete the Planner Show. Oh, I did not like how my voice went up there at the end. <laughs> the Pete the Planner Show. Uh, Kristen, uh, for the, oh, by Matt Royalty makes it into the show. Matt was the gentleman who on LinkedIn made the joke of the week. <laughs> Matt made the joke of the week on LinkedIn last night suggesting that Kristen looked so good on TV because of the lighting because she <laughs> finally pulled the ring light out of the box and stopped having her laptop sitting on top of it. So Matt, kudos to you. You're our listener of the week. Um, Kristen, uh, for those joining us late, Kristen has been all over the television this week. She is a media star. Um, Kristen, listening, how did you watch your clips back? Absolutely not. Seriously? I did not. I've watched them several times. Dame? Oh, no. I, I've watched them all at least once. Um, well, my next question's irrelevant then. Oh, I right, can. Here, here's my question. Can okay. you watch them twice and it's further so you can answer this question? Mm -hmm. Do you have a verbal tick or a word that you go to while you're processing and thinking and answering? Because I know I used to all the time and I'm curious if if you've detected that on your own. I'm not saying I found one for you. I'm just saying if you found your own. I use like way more than I should. I listen back to this show every week because I think watching game film makes you better. And I use the word like a lot. I don't know if I did on the news, but the reason I didn't watch the media broadcast back was because I, I expect it to look awkward because I did not know going into this that when you record from home, you don't get to see anyone else. So <laughs> you just talk into your computer and normally you like read off of people's facial expressions or like you're looking for like nonverbal cues. And there is none of that when you're on live TV from your home. So I had no desire to watch my awkwardness back. Uh, I, I will just say... Um... We've talked about this before, the black abyss. You stare into a lens, you see nothing back, you don't know what your face is doing. Your face looked fine, Kristen. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, okay, we've got a lot more to talk about, which so many great comments uh, uh, on the live stream. So thank you all. I mean, we've got some actually pretty heavy hitters <laughs> on the live stream right now. We got uh, Craig P. Anderson, who was deeply involved with the student loan industry for years. And we've got Phil Schumann, the director of financial wellness um, at Indiana University, who's also been all over the media this week. Um, so, okay, coming back. Hey, let's hit inflation. Let's hit college costs. Um, what else do we want to hit? Um, were there any other questions in the Facebook Live? I didn't. Oh, we didn't mention the deadline. Okay, we can hit the the deadline. Oh, June thirtieth. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then we'll we'll maybe end with. So this is going to happen again, right? <laughs> yeah. Did you see Craig's comment? Yeah, I know. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah that's that's. I mean, that's. I was going to say it's shocking, but is it? Is it really shocking? I don't. I don't. I'm not sure. It's shocking. I'm shocked that it happened quite that fast, but I'm not good with math. You are definitely not good. Bad math. All right. Um, let's go. M3. What in the heck? 
sorry. Three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show, student loan forgiveness, executive order edition of the show, also known as the Kristen Alanius is a media darling edition of the show. Uh, Dame, uh, I keep, I actually, there's CNBC is on the uh, lobby TV of our offices here at HQ1 and HQ2. And I was going uh, in the lobby this morning. I was walking through and I saw on CNBC someone complaining about what a horrible inflationary move this is and how this is going to stoke inflation. As you know, I am not an economist. I just don't see that perspective at all. I know how many people have not been paying on their student loans for the last 30 months. I do not see at all how this impacts inflation. Do you? I don't. I, I think the money that people think is going to get flooded into the economy is already there for the vast majority of people that we're talking about getting forgiveness. So it, will we, it, you and I projected for a long time that once student loans pick up, it's going to pull some of this money out of the market and, and out of the, the economy, and it's going to tamp down on inflation concerns. Now it's there. And based on the inflationary reports that we've had in the last few months, it seems to be slowing down. So I'm not sure it's going to add fuel to the fire. It may prolong inflation for a little bit, a little bit, but uh, is it going to ramp things up? I don't see it. Kristen, what do you think? I have almost the exact same perspective as Dame. I think the thing that maybe you could make as an argument is that by approximately a third, give or take, of borrowers not having to make a student loan payment anymore, that that money will get to stay in the economy. But as far as like immediate impacts, like he said, what percentage of people are saving that or not using it for um a purpose that is increasing inflation. I don't know that that number is high enough to make that argument. Yeah. I, I just think, I just think that's one of the weirder perspectives on this is that mm -hmm. this is going to stoke inflation because here's what I know come January 1st, 2023, uh, we're, we're about to see inflation completely pull back because people are going to have to pay their student loan payments and money is coming out of the economy. I just, I don't know. I There's a lot of arguments. That's one I just don't understand. Do you think some people think they're going to get checks in the mail for, for that? Some of well, I mean, I would hope someone who's on CNBC would not think that people are getting a $10,000 check. But I, I would think others might think that. But I, I never consider that, Dame. I mean, in social media, I, I can see that be a, 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 I, I shudder to say a reasonable assumption for people to be thinking on social media, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's a, a fair number of people on social media that think that's what's going to happen. All right. So Craig P. Anderson, uh, now that he's going to drop off the stream, he did leave one comment. Again, Craig was a big part of the student loan industry uh, of helping people pay off student loan debt. And, and so uh, he, he just left a comment in the stream that is worth noting. Uh, he says, uh, for what it's worth, the big problem with all of this is that it does not deal with any of the root cause problems, the biggest of which are tuition costs and no connection accountability for ROI of programs relative to student loan debt. And I could not agree more. I, you know, there was a, a couple tweets from, I believe it was a New York Times or a Wall Street Journal reporter that off the record on background a college president said they now no longer feel the pressure to keep tuition costs low. And that is the moral hazard that this executive order actually brings. Craig also pointed out on the live stream, you guys, there should be a Craig P. Anderson show. It's much better, uh, but Kristen's not on it. So um, there's this idea that aggregate student loan balance will be back to where it is today, what, $1.7 in three years. In three oh. years, we will be right back where we are today. And so this isn't even a matter of treating a symptom. I, I don't, that's the challenge with this is it will make college more expensive because of this executive order for Dame's kids, for my kids, and for Kristen's dogs. I think that's what uh, is afoot. I, you know, his comment, I, agree with a good chunk of it. I, I think a big issue is there's no connection or accountability for uh, ROI for the degrees and, and the loans that are taken out. The tuition cost, uh, if we're talking public schools, and that's that's where I'm going to leave it, I'm not going to even delve into the private school. Uh, Philip Schumann and I just uh, had this conversation earlier this week. 
if tuition for a public school in your state is around $12,000 a year, that's not chump change, but it doesn't seem all that unreasonable. I think where college starts to get out of hand is all of the ancillary costs that go around with it. So if, if you decide to live on campus or in a college town, you're going to find all sorts of ways and needs for those dollars. But the, the tuition itself doesn't seem that unreasonable to me. Maybe I'm off on an island on this one, but I would be curious to see or hear what the two of you think about that. Well, Chris, let me let me tag on that for Kristen to answer because Kristen's here to answer everything. Kristen, I agree with Dame, but but where does it come to like out of state tuition? Because if you can go twelve thousand in state, and you're going forty thousand in state, um, like what? How do you get your head around that? I know Phil's on the stream, and I know various universities um, get a lot of revenue from out of state students. Like that that's not a great decision. I. I don't know how you have this conversation and not be super political, but to Damien's point, um, using like me as anecdotal experience, my freshman year, my room and board was more than my tuition. So you're exactly right, is that I received a degree from a, what I would call a prestigious university, I'm very biased, but, and my room and board costs more than a quarter of my degree. How's that political? I'm, I'm curious, I'm now oh, lost. Uh, no, 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 the in-state, out-of-state thing is political. Got it. Oh, political within the higher ed group, Correct. not political in terms of. No. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, with a couple minutes left, and, and really, I feel like we've hit this topic from a lot of different angles. What is upsetting about this to me, um, about this entire discourse around this? And I, I love that people can feel how they feel because they're coming from their own perspective and those of their loved ones. I think where I get frustrated is that I feel like we're continuing to pit people against each other. Like, I, I, that's what I don't like. Like, I don't like this idea that, uh, I'll say it, like, what's the matter? I don't like that the White House is coming out and saying, well, if you're against this, but you took PPP loan money, like, those are totally different things. And I don't like that, like, Jim Jordan could come out and say, you're telling me a factory worker is paying for some philosophy major in, in California's, it's like, no, none of that makes any sense either. And so unfortunately, like everything else in our society right now is the, the pair the, 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 the polar opposites are using this, to just advance their narrative and they're doing it by pitting people against each other. And I think that sucks. There was a phrase I saw used on Twitter this week that I had never heard before, but I think is incredibly appropriate. People are rage farming. They're mm. out there just planting the seeds trying to stoke and grow rage. And then as people participate in that, they're the ones being harvested. They are the ones that are being brought to exactly where everybody else is trying to push them to anger and uh, divisiveness. And we need to take a step back and, and look at things in a much broader picture and maybe, maybe not focus on ourselves quite as much. Yeah, I get this idea this week when this was all happening. I, I know where the, the, uh, the our three minds were, especially Kristen and Dame. Uh, our minds went to, okay, how do we get this out so that what has happened can help as many people as possible? Like, that's where we went. And sure, we all have political different politically different opinions on this show. But like, that's not where this is right now because the executive order happened. And so we're trying to get as much positive utility out of it as possible for as many people. And I just really struggle with this of like, I'm excited about that, but I am the first to acknowledge per Craig P. Anderson in three years, student loan debts right back where it was. And I will end with this. I think this sets us up for future forgiveness and that idea is a dangerous idea for people who may take on more debt than they should because they feel like their debts will be forgiven in the future. Or because they have to because prices have gone up. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break from student loan forgiveness. It actually happened. I can't believe it happened. It did happen. Uh, and instead, we're going to do the biggest waste of money of the week. No, it's not student loan forgiveness. It's something different. That and, yeah, there are other current events too. I'm Pete the Planner. Dame, I feel like you and I should run for Congress. Nobody would nobody would elect us. Have you okay, 
Kristen, you're not vain enough for this, but Kristen, have you ever considered running for political office? I'm afraid that people are going to say mean things about me on the podcast reviews. Do you think that I could handle a public office? No, no, (laughs) not at all. (laughs) If you and I ran for a higher office where there was a, a first and second in charge, our ticket could be done and done. Ooh. You know, if Pete Buttigieg and I ran together, it'd be Pete and repeat. Sure. That's not (laughs) great, but sure. Uh, At one point in time, like just in my head, I was like, I I, I would, I want to make a difference. I mean, I never voiced it, right? This is years ago. Mm -hmm. Then I, Dame, I had to have told you that I've been approached two different times by two different parties to run or not one they wanted to appoint me as something when someone left something (laughs) and the other one they wanted me to run and i was like that's when none of it made any sense and i was like that's the worst job on the planet i would never do that no yeah yeah i mean it's flattering but it's just like is it flattering or they're like hey you're you're a cretin you do it yeah i i i couldn't stand to be the punching bag so i couldn't do it Mm mm-hmm Think how many people go to Washington or go to whatever their state legislatures and they and they do it with like, I'm gonna make a difference. And then like a, a month in, they're just like, hey, we're having a fundraiser. Um, you know, we're gonna auction off a I don't know, a, puppy. A puppy. I don't know. I don't know where the puppy came into any of this. It's International Dog Day, I think. Is it? Happy I Dog Day, so. Kristen. No, oh, thanks. Uh, there's some interesting comments. K- Casey um, asked this, and we didn't hit it, but we should hit it right now. Kristen, so this only applies to federal loans and not consolidated loans with private companies? Go ahead, buddy. Yeah. It only applies to loans owned by the Department of Education, which it's worth pointing out for the podcast listeners that we in the profession, there is not a ton of clarity around, um, I have brought this up before the family federal or the federal family education loans, which haven't been dispersed for like over a decade, but those loans by and large are not owned by DOE. They were, um, co-signed essentially by the DOE, but the way the legislation or the way the announcement from the White House reads, if the debt has to be owned by DOE, there will absolutely be people who think that they're part of this that will be left out, at least in the first wave. Do I think that they'll go back and fix that because people will be outraged because these loans, again, are over a decade old? I think they'll have to go back and remedy that. But the way it reads, I don't think that all loans are going to be included. Can I ask a question that might lead to divisiveness, but I'm going to give you both an out. The question is on a scale of one to three, three being very much so, and one being no, not at all. How much did this executive order come from the buying votes perspective? How much did this executive order come from the buying votes perspective? Cause you've heard it voiced. People are entitled to their opinion about it. I will go first if it makes you feel better. And I am going to be a weenie and I'm saying a two. (laughs) And here's why. Or actually, let's go one to four because that way I can't be a weenie. Okay. Actually, you still could be half. Anyway, no one cares. Listen, I think it's about a two and here's why. I think the Biden administration sincerely feels like they are solving a problem for some people. And I actually believe that. I feel like this does solve a problem for some marginalized people. I 100% believe that. I also think that a lot of that promise comes from campaign promises that were meant to influence votes. And then now they have to deliver on it or they're in trouble for the midterms and they're in trouble for the reelection campaign. That's how I feel. So I'm a two Kristen, scale, you want to, oh, go ahead, Dan. What scale are we going on? One to three. I don't or one three. To four? We're going to three. We're going sure. one to three. So I'm the I'm a weenie. I'm going two. Um, so three was that it was politically very, political. very, very political. One, not so much. Two, you're a weenie. What, what are you? What are you choosing? Well, at the risk of flooding your email inbox, I pick five. But I think that what has happened actually has almost backfired because the 10,000 was a campaign promise. And 
I think what I've seen anecdotally is that the people who really, really wanted this never thought 10,000 was enough to begin with. So you waited two years to deliver on a promise that you made, and then you only did what you said you were going to do in the first place. And it's like, oh, look at what happened. It's like, well, you kind of campaigned on this. So again, at the risk of flooding your email inbox, like five. But I don't think that's a controversial opinion, by the way. You can, you can, and not that you do, but I'm saying you could support President Biden oh, yeah. and still say it's a five, right? That's I think fair. that's where we, we don't have to get so polar. Like Dame, I assume you're at a seven. Where are you at? Well, I was going to say five until she said five. So I've got to one up her since I'm the de facto most conservative person on this podcast. So <laughs> your radio show. So yeah, I, I guess I'm six or seven now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it is, it, they were backed in a corner based on campaign promises. And so, and yeah, I, I think that's where, where it is. If they felt this strongly about it, and it was for pure altruism. There's no reason it couldn't have happened earlier in the in the first term. Uh, okay, I, okay, so I'm not pushing back on that. I'm just my question would be: Wasn't there a lot of other fish to fry uh, early in the term? Aren't there I, still a lot of yeah, fish yeah? Are there still? I, I'm not <laughs> sure. I mean, it's, it, he stood at a podium and made a 15 minute announcement followed by a bunch of tweets that some intern did. So I, this could have been wrapped up much earlier. Fair enough. Um. Can we draw attention to Big Brick's question? Um, Because I think that is something important that we didn't talk about and I haven't seen a whole lot is that usually student loan forgiveness outside of an established program like public service loan forgiveness is taxable. The public service loan forgiveness program, that, that relief is not taxable. However, as part of the something relief act, I think, I don't remember it was signed, um, like two years ago, there was temporary relief for student loan forgiveness outside of those programs. So through 25, I believe, student loan forgiveness is not taxable. And that was independent of yesterday's decision or Wednesday's decision. Those two things just happen to line up. So this forgiveness should not be taxable. However, yes, it's, Stephen it's still, it still could be at the state level. State, Yeah. Um, you guys, you remember when I said Aqua Greg came in here before the show was started started, and you and we were all just talking and he was videoing us. Mm-hmm. I just saw that he put that video up on LinkedIn. Of, <laughs> I told you. Like, what in the world is going on, Aqua Greg? You have to watch the video to find out. Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's move on to some frivolity. Hey, by the way, I'm biased, right? But I appreciate that conversation we just had. Because again, the three of us on various elements agree. We see it differently. We disagree. Like, it's okay. It's it it's fine. And I just don't think it's a binary thing. It's terrible. It's great. No, it's freaking complicated. Is what it is. I think the one. I think the most telling thing is the one thing that we all agree on is that it doesn't solve the problem. Right. Yeah. You know what? I have that's a. There's two problems to solve. And yeah. I don't think it solves either, <laughs> but th- there's, there's people that are deeply in debt with oh, student loans and yeah. $10,000 isn't enough to get them out. Not and then course. there's the cost of college going forward and it, it makes it worse. So, um, whatever, yeah. let's continue. Jashel, Aqua Greg behind the scenes, unauthorized documentary of the show. <laughs> what in the world? Imagine if I had said something unsavory oh. last time I buy him a Jimmy John's. What? Dame, what was that stat that I gave you the other day that in Indiana of the borrowers over 60 that have student loans, the average balance was like $38,000? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so people who are on a fixed income for the rest of their life have 38 ish thousand dollars in loans if they've got one that's the average number in 60 and over age do not care for that statistic sorry for multiple reasons in three two one this week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the pete the planner show is the auto cbd cocktail bitters boost your mood along with your drinks flavor with auto cbd cocktail bitters 
The blend is a custom combination of herbaceous botanicals, including, by the way, um, Damien did a little entertainment dancing to put himself through college, and his stage name was Herbaceous Botanicals. I didn't know if you knew that, Kristen. I didn't know that. Uh, including lemongrass, licorice. I'm so sorry. I don't know where that came from, but it's it's wonderful. Uh, I thought licor- all those videos were destroyed. Liquor. <laughs> I got to start. It's a custom combination of herbaceous botanicals, including lemongrass, licorice, and cacao, each with its own holistic properties uh, to support well-being. It's then been enhanced with pure auto CBD sourced from organically grown hemp plants to elevate cocktails with a floral citrus profile while delivering the calming benefits of CBD. Skip the alcohol altogether, add it to mocktails, juice, and tonics, and sip yourself into tranquility. All right, Dame, you are familiar with bitters because you are known to make a cocktail or two or six. Um, so, Kristen, you're you're not familiar with no. bitters because that's not your jam. You're a, a ranch water gal. Yes. So, Dame, I'm going to give you the first. Actually, I'll give Kristen the first crack at what does <laughs> this cost? Bitters for cocktails, but it's CBD. CBD infused. Yeah. Two hundred bucks. Okay, Dame. Fifty-two dollars. $80, and I want to just say a couple things. Number one, if you're having a cocktail, do we also have to have the, the effects of CBD? Uh, Brian Pinkins guessed $420. That's funny. Um, do we also have to uh, have the same? Like, I'm not a CBD guy. I mean, I've made this quite clear, and it's not because I don't like it. I, I just not, I have enough vices. I don't need another one. Um, that just seems like a lot of money. 80 bucks for bitters? I don't knock until you tried it, man. Jeez. All right. And now we go to the dude for the news. What's in the news this week, dude? Well, let me get to the right page. Pete. Wow. That is the first time in the show in yeah. about two years that I've tossed you for the news, but you were so tranquil. You were so yes. tranquil Mellow. that you weren't ready. And that's disappointing. Mellow. Yeah. Well, you've talked to me about it in my review. The number of people with credit cards and personal loans already hit fresh highs in the second quarter of 2022, according to TransUnion's latest Credit Industry Insights report released earlier this month. Credit card balances also jumped 13% during the second quarter, the largest year-over-year increase in more than 20 years, according to a separate report from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. At the same time, APRs are just under 18% on average, which is also an all-time record. Since most credit cards have variable APR, there's a direct connection to the Federal Reserve's benchmark. As the federal funds rate rise, so does the prime rate, and, well, credit cards follow suit. You know what situations like this call for, Kristen? Student loan forgiveness. Debt forgiveness. Close. Governmental influence. That's right. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is considering looking into how much banks charge in interest. Though the CFPB doesn't have the authority to cap interest rates, Banks could feel it's more prudent to lower rates versus publicly battling it out to justify their practices. Experts warn there could be unintended consequences, however. For example, banks may tighten requirements to get uh, and use credit cards, leaving many customers without access to credit. Now, I have not necessarily heard people talk about student loan forgiveness from a slippery slope perspective. However... You hear a story like this, it starts to feel slippery slopey, doesn't it? A little bit. But uh, that might be one of my least favorite news stories I've heard in a while. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I'm sorry. You don't consume a lot of news, do you? I, I, yeah, but consumer debt just makes me nauseous. I can't help it. Well, here, it makes you nauseous because you know the position it puts people in. Right. You're, you're not nauseous because of the choices people find no. themselves making. It's the aftermath. And so, exactly. I mean, I, I would note that the mechanism of an interest rate, as associated with risk, with, with you know, consumer debt, like that is how it works. That's part of the apparatus. The only reason that a person is lent money is based on their credit worthiness. So if if that begins to suffer, there has to be an increase in interest rates. Or it, again, we get back to moral hazard, which should just be the name of the show. 
Yes, yeah, absolutely should. Does that scare you, Dame? Like, or, or do you think this is a news story that's just like, hey, I need to, I need something to write about this week? Or do you think this is like, are we we're not heading there? There's no, boy, those seem like famous last words. <laughs> uh, th- I mean, we're not going to get to a point where what is it? The CB? What is it? The CFPB? Consumer Financial Protection Board CFPB? Yeah, they're they're going to start legislating interest rates. Nope, they can't legislate, but they could take to task banks for their practices of charging exorbitant interest rates. And instead of getting bad PR, banks could decide, you know what, we'll just back it off. But in order to do that, we're going to tighten up our requirements and a lot of people are going to lose access to credit. But what is exorbitant, Kristen? I mean, it, so I'll, I'll just go like, it's not a new 29.99%. I remember seeing that at one point in time was like a... Which is which is high, but is that exorbitant, or is it for a person that's credit worthiness is in question? That's exorbitant. Dame, do you think that's exorbitant? Twenty nine point nine nine. If you're missing payments, I see the direction that you're going with this, and I see the distinction you're trying to make. Uh, if if somebody's a horrible credit risk, maybe it's entirely reasonable, but maybe those people shouldn't have credit extended to them in the first place. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. what else is in the news? Yeah. I tried to catch him off guard again. Yeah, you I did well. Him. I got him. You, you did well. Even as people struggle to stretch their incomes amid high inflation, it turns out there's money that they may already have, and they're probably overlooking. Unused gift cards, Pete. To that point, 47% of people have at least one unused gift card voucher or store credit, according to a new, new survey from creditcards.com. This is the guessing part of the show, Pete. The average unused amount is this per person the average unused amount is this per person all i can think about is not wanting to disclose how much unused gift cards i have <laughs> uh, uh, so maybe Wait, that's the second guessing game is it total or like the average person has cards worth this amount like per I, card I, I don't know so just assume whatever you want oh man my guess is um uh I'm going to go $300. $150. per person, up from $116 last year for the entire U.S. adult population. That could add up to $21 billion in money just sitting on gift cards. All right. I'm going to allow each of you to make one lobby, one guess as to the amount of unused gift cards that I believe are in my possession. Um, and this is not a flex. Dane, will this classify as Pete bragging about his financial situation? I Kristen only, says yes. Only the reviews will tell. Yes. Then let's let's uh is there anything else in the news <laughs> this week? Yeah. Uh, California on Thursday approved regulations banning the sale of new gasoline power cores and trucks by the year 2035, an action aimed at addressing climate change that could speed the nation's transition to electric vehicles. The regulations, which apply to sales of new cars, pickup trucks, and SUVs, would establish annual thresholds for the share of zero emission vehicles automakers must sell in the state each year, starting at 35% in 2026 and ramping up to 68% in 2030 and 100% by 2035. While EV sales still account for only around 6% of new U.S. vehicle sales, they surpassed 16% in the second quarter in California. I can't get my head around that story. I can't get my head there. I had the chance when I was in Phoenix last week to have a, an electric car or a gas car. I've never driven an electric car, and I chose a gas car out of habit. And like I... I I can't get my head around that idea. Yeah, I'm from the middle of nowhere, Indiana, so same. There's a ton of infrastructure that's going to have to happen for any of this to occur. It's the fifth biggest economy in the world, and I don't think they have a shot at it. And that's all there is time for this week on the Pizza Planet Show. Hope you enjoyed the student loan forgiveness episode of the show. Sending good vibes. Good vibes are all this in the budget. I'm Pizza Planner. This was the show. I feel like there was another question that we didn't. That we need to address. Oh, no, it was Jason's comment. What's not fair? Only one of the people on this feed has to comb their hair. Thanks for pointing that out. Thanks. You're right, Jason. Jason. Wait. You know know what? I hope male pattern baldness besieges his home. (laughs) That's not very nice. Dave, (laughs) if you and I, I think we would have talked about this. We had to have talked about it. If you and I went like a month of growing it out, 
who would look worse? Like where's, where's your actual, I mean, I know this is a visual, but where's your actual deficiency? I basically, but I'm sorry, I'm doing, trying to do it in a reverse screen, basically everywhere between here. Sorry, down. Nope. Yeah, I've got like a like <laughs> an upside up to down horseshoe, and just in the front, really. I don't have much of a bald spot in the back, but it's just that in the front. Yeah, I've got a lot of real estate on top of my head that would be very bare. All right, guys, I got to shoot some videos. Um, Sorry, Jeremiah. <laughs> uh, Kristen, awesome job. Dame and I loved celebrating this week, and we will continue to do so. You're Thank awesome. You. Good job. Thank you. Dame, awesome job celebrating Kristen this week. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Hey, thanks everybody for being part of the show today. That's all we got. Stay getting money.